Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Starting uh, three. Hey, folks, Zach Ostrom here. IU Insider, Indianapolis Star. Been a couple weeks since we didn't mind your banners. We're bringing it back. Obviously, it will be back regularly very soon. Uh, with football season quite literally around the corner. Um, we're going to talk a little football today, but I think we're going to focus, we're, we're going to widen our gaze ever so slightly. And to do that, we are going to welcome in Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast. This is Mind Your Banners for, I don't even know what day it is. It's August the 10th. 10th. There we go. Thursday, August 10th. And that is Galen Clavio of Mind Your Banners, uh, back from his his siesta in California. Galen, so thank you so much for joining. Great to be here. Was was out in Big Ten country. That's true. It's delightful. That's true. The beaches of Lake Monroe, the beaches of Santa Monica. They're they're practically the they, same. They, they, in, in here they meet. Um, it's been a busy week or two in college athletics, Galen. Um, obviously, and we're, we're going to talk primarily about realignment today or consolidation might be the better term for it at this point. Um, we may get into a little bit of IU chat near the end, but this is kind of unavoidable. And what is striking to me, obviously, you know, you can talk about the, the, the stuff that's clear that the PAC 12 is dying you know, the a lot of the message that's probably sent by the fact that the Pac-12, the best deal, the media deal it could get was Apple TV streaming and all these different kinds of things. What is most striking to me, though, about this particular round of, again, whatever you want to call it, realignment, consolidation, contraction, is people really seem to be pushing back. I think for the first time in a... In a meaningful way, the first time I can remember at this level in terms of athletes saying, this is not what we want, coaches saying, why does this make any sense? Um, you know, you've got, you know, regents and trustees from the Big Ten to the SEC saying, maybe we need to reconsider some of this, or at very least, we need to be keenly aware of the message that this is sending about the collegiate model and what is and isn't true anymore. It does feel, I don't want to say that this is reaching critical mass because I don't know that issues like this ever reach critical mass. They just kind of keep evolving. Um, but it does feel like people are starting to sort of stand up and in a, a, a more sort of broad-based way say, this doesn't really feel healthy for the future of college athletics. Yeah, it is interesting that this was the inflection point of all things, and it makes sense. I mean, we almost had this situation happen in a different way about 13 years ago when the Pac-12 RIP, you know, tried to raid the Big 12 and take its two biggest properties and turn itself into the Pac-16, and then ESPN rode in on their horse at the last second and essentially was like, no, we don't want four mega conferences, so we're going to give uh, the Big 12 some money and try to make Texas happy. And that lasted for about a decade. Uh, I think it's, to some degree, a march towards where we're currently at that's been on its way for a long time. I get why people are suddenly like, ooh, that doesn't make a lot of sense. West Coast teams playing in the Big 10. But that's where things have been trending for a while. And where I struggle with this, it's like in the macro, it looks really bad for college sports. It looks really bad 
that you're going to have, uh, you know, athletes flying all over the country and, you know, not just in football and basketball, but in some of the non-revenue and Olympic sports as well. But the flip side of it is this was not a case of the Pac-12 waking up one day and just getting destroyed by outside forces. Like this was a systematic mismanagement of the Pac-12 by the people that run it, by the commissioners, by the presidents. You, know, you mentioned the best TV deal they could get was from Apple and it was about $22 million a year. Yet we've seen reporting that they had a deal on the table from ESPN the previous year that was rejected by the presidents. And that was like the last – in a long series of miscalculations and mismanagements that led to the situation that we're in. So I do think that it's something that people should be concerned about in that if you're used to college sports as they existed in the 80s and 90s, I think that's gone now. And it has been for a while. And that's the thing I think that maybe people are finally waking up to it. But the market forces that just caused the Pac-12 to disintegrate – frankly, have been doing this in a bunch of other areas of college sports for the last 12 to 15 years. And it's like a lot of people weren't paying attention during that time period. Yeah, I think it is important to to sort of note what's different now, because for a long time, you know, you mentioned that the the Pac-12 trying to considering moving for Texas and and I don't I don't remember if Oklahoma was in their plans at that time or not. But coming out of that, even without rating the Big 12, the Pac-12 immediately following that signed what was at the time the largest television deal of any of the major conferences. And, you know, these, these TV deals kind of followed like quarterback contracts or, you know, apparel deals where basically when yours came up, you just looked at the previous two and said, this is the market. We'd like a little bit more. And somebody stepped forward and said, okay, here's the money. Because for a while the money was just ever increasing, you know, in the eighties and nineties, Cable television was in its expansion phase. You had ESPN. You had obviously the major channels building out, you know, sort of like cable subsidiaries like Fox Sports and all this stuff. And they needed programming. So they were as you know, they were they were steadily growing their their base and they were taking all this money and they were buying programming with it. And then in the 2000s, it exploded. You had the conference Television networks, which were done in concert with the major networks, Fox with the Big Ten Network, ESPN with the Longhorn. Which, does that even exist anymore? No. Yeah, but the but the SEC network and the ACC network, both ESPN basically funded properties or, or ESPN hosted essentially. Right. Um, and for a while, like everyone was just making money. There was there was no regression right. in this, at least not at the what we call the Power Five level. And then cord cutting started. The presumption was that people would still want live sports, and so streaming would just kind of fill the gap. It didn't. And so you had an an economic model, and I don't want to get too deep into this because I don't want to get too philosophical about, like, amateurism, but <laughs> schools that were making $30, $40, 50000000 million a year 15 years ago got to a place where they were making $120, $130, $140 million five years ago. But for a variety of reasons, probably chiefly among them so that they could claim they didn't have any money to share with the athletes, schools spent all that money as they made it. Rather than saying we could run the department on $40 million a year in expenses, now we're making $100 million. We'll move it up to 60 but we'll bank this other 40 They were saying if we're going to make $100, we are going to spend 100 If we're going to make 40 we're going to spend 40 So they became reliant on this money. Now all of a sudden it's – the pool is not ever expanding the way it was for what the previous probably 30 years, maybe even more. 
you have to start taking that money from somewhere else, which means someone else. But everybody is still reliant on on basically living at that price point yep. with with salary expenditures, capital improvements, all these different kinds of things. And also knowing that there's a, a high degree of likelihood that at minimum schools are going to be allowed and therefore tacitly required to get into the NIL game at some point soon at like maximum, I guess would be the way to say it. Revenue sharing is coming. So you've got this big thing that's about to blow a hole in your annual expense. You can't afford to be left on the outside looking in. This is why Oregon and Washington were willing to say, we will take negligibly more money, relatively speaking, to move from this Pac-12 streaming deal over to the Big Ten and we'll take a lot less money than all the other Big Ten members are going to get for the life of a TV deal that just started because we still think it is more financially and competitively healthy long term for us to be in the Big Ten for whatever comes next. Yeah. So the point is conference college athletics got to a place where it was just so reliant on TV money that even as that money started to pare down, it couldn't let go. But again – it has what feels different now is not so much people, at least to me anyway, is not so much people waking up to say to, to suddenly say, wow, this this sort of naked pursuit of dollars is is unseemly and kind of gross. To me, it's more, I think, people justifiably questioning, are we approaching a point where we are going to kill the product before we can save it? And it's possible that that's the case. But to some degree, for me, that reveals the shaky foundation that the product was built on in the first place in terms of being a national product. I mean, college football, you know this as well as, as I do, is largely a regional product. And, you know, you've whether it was the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big Eight or the Southwestern Conference, uh, you know, these were all regional entities with regional rivalries. And what you saw, as you highlighted, was this huge advance in national property value where ESPN, Fox, NBC getting into the the deal with Notre Dame, they were like, we can make money off of this because there is a national audience that's interested in this product. The problem, and this was actually summed up really well, you mentioned like regents getting upset. There was this long Twitter thread by Jordan Acker, who's a regent at Michigan, uh, questioning this entire thing. And like regents are like trustees. Yeah, exactly. If, if you, I mean, like Indiana has a board of trustees, boards of regents yeah. do essentially the same thing. Who questioning the entire model that's being presented and, and how this is going to affect the athletes at Michigan and elsewhere. And there was a follow up interview uh, that he did with Sports Illustrated. And he brought up a great point, one that I've brought up a bunch of times, which is that ultimately, this is a product, at least in part, of colleges and universities not admitting what business they're in. They are an entertainment company. They are selling an entertainment product. There's a lot of money in selling that entertainment product. But once you get into that process, as opposed to running an educational enterprise that happens to play sports, now you start to have to make a lot of compromises in what your original principles were supposedly in the first place. And this idea that we're going to have people traveling cross-country and we're going to have scheduling that – is based on what television needs, not based upon what athletes might need in terms of their studies. That's the business that college sports has been in for a while. And really, you go all the way back to the early 2000s, the explosion in money in college sports, has all that money's been spent, like you said. And it was either, we're going to expand our compliance office, we're going to build new facilities, we're going to build even more new facilities, what, you know, Clemson and Tennessee and Auburn and, and others. There's a, there's a great Washington Post article 
from 2015 or 2016 about the explosion in support staff yep. spending. Basically, administrators, quality control people, all this, just pointing out, again, while there was sort of this argument, there's no money to pay the athletes, the millions and millions that yeah. schools were pouring into essentially all the people you don't know, like non-coaches. And Fred Glass was actually quoted in that because Indiana was, was cited as a – a department that had resisted a fair bit of that. And he said something like, I, th I guess Michigan just has the money to pay people to sit around and think deep thoughts, <laughs> which I think, I think caused yeah. it ruffled, a, but sort of spoke to yeah. a, a point of all this, which is like college sports forced this large S on itself. It didn't need it right now. Listen, you make more money. It's fine to spend more money that we would do. You know, you do it in your own life. You take nicer vacations. You buy a bigger house. You yeah. have a nicer car. But, but the problem is the nonsense we've heard for decades about, well, nobody in college yes. sports makes money. It's like, well, you're based on a budgetary model in academia where you're given a budget and you spend the budget. You don't like you're not. Oh, look, all this profit we have. You're not a for profit enterprise. So spending all the money you bring in when that money continues to increase and then turning around and saying, well, we have no money to pay athletes has always been a bit disingenuous. I think the larger issue here is that when you look at these schools, you know, not only do they not admit that they are in an entertainment business and they're getting the labor for free. And yes, they're making compromises now on the very things that they claim they weren't going to compromise on. Ultimately, why are they doing it in the first place? You know, and this is I, I talk about this a lot in classes that I teach and guest lectures that I give. Why are colleges and universities in the business of high-level college athletics in the first place? And it is almost always a combination of this is the cheapest marketing that you can acquire because you get I mean, look at Butler's a great example of this. Yeah. Butler goes to the the final four, the national championship game two years in a row, applications skyrocket. Suddenly, it's a national brand, and Butler could have never bought that kind of advertising on their own. Even even more than that, Butler's in the Big East because of that, which means Butler's academic peers – and Butler is the possibly rare case where they made the move to the Big East, eyes wide open about the difficulty of competing there. But they wanted to be George in the same conference with Georgetown and Villanova and Marquette and all of these small private universities that had – you know, elite programs in different areas. They wanted to be sitting at the same table academically with a lot of these yeah. biggie schools. And that doesn't happen without what you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. And then, you know, and, and it, it goes hand in hand with the other aspect of this, which is alumni service. People want to feel pride in their alma mater or the school that they root for. They want to donate money. They want to feel like they're part of the club that matters. And I think, you know, fans look at things a bit differently, but schools look at it and they say, you know, why are we engaging in this business that our presidents and our academic leaders have decried for decades? Well, it's because the benefits financially significantly outweigh the complaints and the supposed drawbacks. But it's it's hit a point now where you are starting to see a bit of a split between the folks that are in the club, the folks that are getting invited to the club, and the folks that aren't getting invited to the club. And you know, so much ink has been spilled and, and words have been spoken the last two weeks about, you know, the Big Ten, they go out and get Oregon and Washington in this dissolution of the Pac-12. Well, why not Stanford and Cal? Both of those schools absolutely fit the academic profile that the Big Ten would want. And it's because they don't bring an engaged audience of people who are coming specifically to watch the athletics. And that's the financial driver behind most of this. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I think if you polled the Big Ten presidents and said purely from an academic perspective, would you like Stanford and Cal in your conference? They'd say absolutely. Are you willing to drop 10 to $15 million per year off of your revenue to make that happen? 
I'm guessing they're going to say no. And that ultimately ends up being the big conundrum with a lot of this reorganization. And you, and it's important to remember, like, did, you know, in a raw numbers way, there's more money in letting Cal and Stanford into the Big Ten for the universities. Sure. Because academic dollars massively outweigh athletic dollars and in, in nearly everywhere in these big institutions when you talk about yeah. grants and gifts and, and endowments and things like that. And that speaks more to, speaks directly to your point, which is this isn't about the academics. Right. This is about athletics and, and about basically the enterprise around high-level college athletics. The problem is that college athletics spent all this time swearing it couldn't pay athletes while wedding itself to a system that was going to force it to pay athletes yeah. because you get to a place where if you're going to make players, you know, saw Oregon softball players were on Twitter not long after this voicing their complaints about this. If you're going to make Oregon, Oregon softball players fly across the country to play a three game series at Rutgers in May and miss a bunch of class and land back in, in Eugene at four o'clock in the morning and all that it's, it's, very difficult to make the argument anymore that you're doing these sorts of things for the benefit of athletes. And as legal challenges have become more and more refined to basically the old sort of structure of amateurism, this is just more fuel for basically – this is more fuel to challenge Absolutely. the old – but the problem you have then is you're relying on it. You, yeah. you, have, you have addicted yourself to this if you're college athletics. And so you get to a place where – you know, I, I've, I've compared this in the last week to big box stores in small towns. You know, people say they don't want Lowe's. They say they don't want Target. They don't want small town business to fail and disappear. They don't want to lose, you know, the the, the, the cultural sort of agency that that provides them. And they, they don't want to lose that that feel of, you know, this is my community and it's tight knit. And I know these people and it all means something to me. And then when they go shopping, they go to Lowe's and Target. Yep. Because they, they want to save $40 on a television. Because it's cheaper. It's more efficient. It's more streamlined. And that is the same thing that's happening to college athletics. But I think, again, I circle back to what I said at the top of this, which is there is a point at which, because I wrote about this this week. I said, if you're Indiana or Purdue for a long time, General wisdom was being in the Big Ten insulated you. It was a buffer against the, the winds of change. You were in the conference that was going to win the Hunger Games. And so you didn't need to worry about, you know, basically falling victim to this, you know, the, the, the just the whims of whatever was going on. Um, but the natural end point to this is if the money's not expanding anymore, if, if the money is – if the pool of money is continuing to get smaller or at least plateauing and so you're going to start taking it from some people to give to other people to make those people feel like to, – to make those people feel like they're getting their market value and we're talking about streamlining and making things more efficient and cutting away dead weight, it's not hard to get to a place where you start seeing networks go to conferences. And I don't know if you just – it's outright, oh, kick them out. But it's not hard to get to a place where people start having conversations that are literally already going on in the ACC – which is maybe we should reexamine whether everybody gets the same piece of the pie. Maybe we should reexamine whether everybody's bringing the same value. And if you get to a place where you are starting to streamline so much that you are knocking certain people out, like there comes a point of negative return, I think is, is what I'm trying to say. It's here. possible. Uh, you know, and certainly I think it's a scenario that could play out. I would pump the brakes a little bit on saying that it's the inevitable conclusion of things for a couple of reasons. First of all, 
this is a peculiar spot in media history where there's a large scale transition of how people watch and consume materials, you know, and it's, and it's, like you said, you've got cord cutting subscriber bases haven't necessarily compensated. The pie isn't getting bigger. The problem is though, that the model's different. And so it's not a like for like thing where it's like, well, there's fewer cable subscribers. Therefore we're going to have to start giving people lesser shares of things necessarily. I always look at IU and I say, this is a rare case of a school that despite having not had a huge bunch of success on the football field over the last 120 years or so does have a lot of alums that are very sports attuned who will pay subscriber money to watch IU sports. Now that there's a lot of schools that can't necessarily say that. And to some degree, that's why Oregon state and Washington state right now are sitting on the sidelines in this latest round. Is it inevitable that an IU or a Purdue or another school like that would find themselves in that position, I don't necessarily know because if you have to grow the pie through subscriber bases because you can't rely on cable bundle money anymore or advertisers there, taking inventory away is not a good way to continue to grow revenue. And the more inventory you take out of what's in a streaming service, if you like say Indiana, you've got 600,000 living alumni. Now, not all of them are interested in sports, but if, you know, if 5% of them are subscribing at $100 a year, that's a significant chunk that if you're going to say, well, we're not going to feature you as much or we're going to ask you to leave that conference, suddenly that doesn't make a lot of financial sense to tell all those people, well, we don't want your business because we're just going to focus on the top brands. This is the interesting thing with college sports to me because you know, I don't know that there's actually a national market to just watch the top brands and sustain the type of money well, that these schools yeah, are interested in. That's, that's I guess, the what what – fascinates me or intrigues me or piques my interest around like just the the widespread negative reaction to this when you i mean you just think about like the number of different kinds of people who've like muffet mcgraw chip kelly gene smith um again like literal athletes themselves university leaders people who have a direct sort of line to university administration and a direct role in university administration. There has always kind of been this push and pull of basically, you know, if you do, if college athletics thing, college athletics did things in a more professional model, it might make more professional money. You know, and I mean, like the NFL dwarfs college football, the NFL dwarfs everything, but like, you know, it, 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 if, if college football could, could drift itself towards some of that, then it could make some more money. It's why it played on Thursday nights long before the NFL did and then lost Thursdays to the NFL very rapidly yep. once the NFL went all in on Thursday night football. Um, but then there's also been this sidecar thing, which is, but do college fans actually want that? Do they want, they already have the NFL. Do they want another NFL or do they take more enjoyment out of college in part because it's not, because it's something different. And so you get two different experiences and for a long time and listen, nothing's permanent. Nothing's ever meant to be permanent. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there, there was a famous quote about the big 12 early in its existence that it was from, well, I think one of the university regions that it was a conference based on oil futures. Like the big 12 was <laughs> never going to be a permanent thing. <laughs> the Pickens conference. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's, I mean, like, Think it like go look at the ACC. Like the ACC is constituted, has really only existed for about the last forty years. Um, we can go on and the on. The Big East has only existed for about forty years in three different forms, right? Yes. So like we we can go on and on. It's not to say everything has to be permanent, but it is to say that at some point you will uproot trees that you can't grow back. Here's the problem 
from my perspective, is that nobody's in charge of college sports. Well, yes. And, and this, yeah. this is the thing that everybody keeps missing. It's like, how can college sports allow this? College sports is – it's it's a, a it's bunch a prisoner's of it's dilemma. a bunch of warring Greek city states. It is it is there is not a league other for anything other than making money. The NCAA is not in charge of college athletics. They're not in charge of football. Who's in charge of football? Conference commissioners. It's not even the individual schools. And they're all pulling in different directions. And whatever direction they're pulling is the one they think is going to give them the advantage in the marketplace. And on a variety of issues, college. Leaders, university leaders have felt that this was the way that they could try to pass themselves off as not being a professional sports entity, when in reality, that's exactly what they've been for a long time, just without paying the labor. And it's coming home to roost now, because if there's nobody in charge of college sports within the college and university system in the U.S., someone will step into that void. Who did? The television networks. Yeah. And that's really what we're looking at right now. I mean, a lot has been made of Fox ponying up the money to make it financially feasible for Oregon and Washington to join the Big Ten without it taking money out of the pockets of the Big Ten schools. Well, it wasn't like Fox, from what we've read, it's not like Fox was holding the joystick on that. The presidents of the Big Ten were like, we think we need to add those brands. Then they went to Fox and said, Fox, can you give us the money to make this happen? And they were willing to because of the long-term potential ramifications. But that's a terrible way to run what is, in, in essence, a multi-billion dollar entertainment business to just cede control over what you're doing and cede it to the partners that are televising only the end product without worrying about any of the other items. That's really a core issue that colleges and universities need to confront if they are as concerned as they're claiming that they are with all of these you know, comments regarding the dissolution of the Pac-12. Well, and I think the other the other problem you run into there is – if you don't have anyone in charge, then there's no unifying message for everyone to be able to say, you know, like, I mean, I think a lot of people were intrigued by Chip Kelly's idea of just like splitting off the power five into its own 64 team league, the, the group of five into its own 64 team league, leaving the rest of college athletics to be governed by something resembling the old structure. Let football keep filtering the money down to pay for everything, but let football go be its own thing because administratively, culturally, functionally, football can run on a national schedule in a way that most other sports can't because other sports are played during the week. And you, you know, you're, you're, you're asking softball again, like softball players or volleyball players or golfers or, you know, track and field runners, to travel these insane distances. Um, and then you obviously all the costs associated with right. that and flying people around. It, it's if you don't have one person or at least one group of people that can sit there and say, this is good. We'll do this. We have determined that this is, this is what everyone's going to do. This is bad. We're not going to do this then everyone has to assume everyone else is acting in good faith. Right. And we all love to laugh at George Klyavkov for that that line he gave during the ill-fated Alliance press conference or Zoom where he said that this wasn't a contractual agreement. It was just a handshake among gentlemen. But in that moment, George Klyavkov was trying to act in good faith. And look what happened to his conference. And I'm not yeah. – listen, George Klyavkov has – you know, he, he bears his weight of responsibility for this. But my point is, anytime someone tries to do that, anyone try, anytime someone tries to sort of enter the prisoner's dilemma that is getting all of these different entities to function together and in good faith, they get burned for it. 100%. And so, and, you, and, but again, at some point, I think what people are starting to say here is we can't figure out exactly what to do, and we obviously don't know who's in charge. But as a 
body politic, we can recognize that we are approaching a point where this will be damaged beyond repair. And we will start handing people something that long-term they find they don't want anymore. A lot of people have talked about this, uh, the possibility of a college football super league. Now, irrespective of the fact that I don't think Michigan boosters would be very happy going four and eight, you know, <laughs> six out of every 10 years because they have to play Alabama and LSU and USC and whoever else in this annual super league. Um, they, the, I mean, like you and I are both soccer fans. They have talked about a European super league for 30 years. Yep. And the one time they tried to do it with, with some actual decent ideas contained within it. Old Trafford got stormed. Literally everyone revolted. <laughs> Players, managers, fans, yeah. shareholders, everyone said, absolutely not. This is not what we want from this game. You have commercialized it too much. We have compromised. We've let you take so much land, but we like you stop here. No further. And I think that in a softer way, that's a little bit of what is happening now. I agree. The, the, the flip side problem, though, is that on the, in the one breath, you have a lot of people in college sports who are decrying what's happened over the course of the last two weeks. On the other hand, everything we see out of college sports in every other aspect of their business is still captured by elitism and regionalism and this idea that we're going to allow a small number of people to benefit or we're just not going to collaborate at all. All of these attempts by college sports leaders to go to Congress and lobby for a national NIL law that would preempt right of publicity laws in every state and would essentially shove things back to where they used to be, where athletes you know, had heavy restrictions on what they could make through name, image, and likeness. That could all be avoided if the NCAA and its member schools would get together and actually come up with a coherent plan and bargain with the athletes, but they refuse to do that. They won't even come together on a coherent plan for themselves. Look at us. I mean, all the talk about travel recently and what about the Olympic sports and their travel, I find hilarious. Look at something like baseball in the NCAA, which if you play north of the Ohio River, you spend, what, the first month, month and a half of your season on the road playing teams in the south and the west, and that's just how things are. Uh, egalitarianism has rarely ever been the case in college sports the way that they've run themselves. It's not surprising that this is manifesting the way that it is. I hope that this causes people to reevaluate all of this. I hope that college and university leaders uh, and athletics leaders across the country are like, this is worth saving, but we have to start being honest about what business we're in and how we're running it. It's it because right now the trajectory is not going to change if everybody just stands around and says, well, we can't come to an agreement on something. So we're just not going to work together. See, I th so here's my theory. And, and I do want to round this toward a conclusion. And I, I recognize that we haven't solved, you know, <laughs> basically any problems. But I, I do think it's relevant to talk about. And I know we disagree a little bit. I, I do think schools like Purdue and Indiana should be more nervous about I'm, I'm not talking about the next five years i'm talking about the next 10 to 15 years although i think the last week has proven this stuff can move a lot faster than than we when we you know like i remember when realignment was like oh it all happened in one summer well now it, like now it's, it's all happening week. now it's all happening in the space of like here's a streaming deal do you like it no i'm gonna call my friend who's the, the president yeah. of rutgers the, the thing real quick on that i because i've heard this from a bunch of people and i understand where it's coming from but there's a i always Remind people that in all of the realignment that's occurred, there's been one school that's been kicked out of what was considered a power conference at the time that it happened. And that was Temple in the mid-2000s. And it was because Temple would not put the money forward 
to support their football program. We've seen some schools left behind as leagues have consolidated and changed. But the idea, I still find it a little bit unlikely, a lot unlikely, that the Big Ten is going to start going to members and saying, we're either going to kick you out or we're going to make you take a half share. It may happen. That would just be very different from how the conference has done business for essentially its entire lifespan. I think yeah, I understand that, but I, I mean, so has a lot of other stuff well, around this. And I mean, I think I think the I think what is more likely to me is is something like a Champions League model, where there's some sort of sidecar competition that is reserved. Isn't that the college football playoff? Well, I mean, to some extent, probably. Like maybe maybe playoff revenues like just just become exclusively shared among playoff teams or something like that. Um, or maybe you know maybe again when you talk about like all this TV money that's getting moved around, maybe more of that gets redirected away from conference deals and toward the playoff. I, I don't know what it looks like, but I think that's. More likely, if something happens, I do, I do have a theory, and it's not incredibly sort of. Um, I'm sorry. <laughs> All right, well, Siri's curious about your theory. That's, that's fair, Siri. <laughs> um, it, it's not in, incredibly sort of. It's not. It's not thoroughly sort of vetted in my own mind. Um, but I do think actually one of the things that could pull some of this back is athlete compensation and in particular if we are headed as a lot of people think we're headed toward revenue sharing if you're going to share revenues you're going to have to collectively bargain with athletes and that seems daunting because there are so many thousands of athletes but the good news is that there are also about 250 years worth of labor employment and union laws in this country to lean on like it, it yes we're talking about Thousands and thousands of members. Guess what? Like, what about steel workers? What about auto workers? Like, what about truck drivers? These are all institutions that have unions that represent thousands and thousands of people. Um, will it be bureaucratic? Will it be messy? Probably. But the point is, we can do it. And if we get to a place where we're gonna where we share revenues with athletes, which again, I think is is. Like, you know, by some distance, the likeliest sort of future of the athlete compensation model as it's discussed right now, then there is going to have to be collective bargaining within that structure. And if that happens, then you are going to get, I think, the one group of stakeholders most likely to pull some of this back. And I do mean this at the table. And that's going to be athletes who are going to be able to say things like you are going to ensure a certain measure of you know, there's going to be certain academic guarantee to our experience. We're not, you know, we're not, uh, you can't, you can't require us to fly more than a thousand miles on the, you know, let's, let's say, a, and, and like a school night, essentially, I'm sure we'll, I'm sure we'll, we'll come up with a non second grade term for it, but you understand my point yeah. that that, well. that will be that I think as much as in, and, and then I think coaches will, jump onto that because they'll want to seem friendly to athletes. And quite frankly, because I think coaches would like, I do think coaches would like some of this pulled back. I don't think coaches like this. And it's not just like people hear this and say, well, yeah, because Tom Allen doesn't want to play Oregon. It's not just that it's, this gets really complicated. Are you, are you expected to recruit the West coast now? If you're the head coach at Illinois, yeah. you know, like how, how do you, you know, are you, you're going to go to Chicago, you're going to sell people on big 10 football, but by the way, they have to go play three games a year out in, the Pacific time zone where their, where their parents can't. So, so now recruiting is more national, but your recruiting budget is going to get smaller because you're about to have to pay athletes. 
So what do you do? Right, like, where does all that money go? Like, coaches don't want these headaches. That the coaches have enough. Trust right. me, they have enough. I don't think they're all eager. I don't think they hate it, but I don't think they're all eager to run out to the West Coast and play games. My point here is, I think that if I think that the the when you talk about stakeholders that could take a certain measure of control over this, I think naturally athletes could, and I think athletes may be in a position within the next ten years to actually do that, and not necessarily in a we're striding in on our collective white horse to save college sports, but in a way that says you have been making decisions that were driven only by concerns over revenue and television network demands and whatever else it may be for 20, 30 years at our expense. Now we have the opportunity to roll some of those things back and we're going to do that. And what's going to happen is everyone's going to get back to it and say, God, this is a lot more convenient. Like, yeah. It was a lot more convenient when Arizona and Arizona State played Utah and USC rather than when Arizona and Arizona State played West Virginia and TCU. And now I don't think we're just going to go back to the way it was, but I do think that is one of the – my theory is that that is one of the, the sort of cultural forces at work here that could wind up pulling some of this back. It's entirely possible. And Bringing it into balance might be look, the better way I, of putting it. You know, the, I always liken this to what happened with Major League Baseball in the 1960s and 70s. As revenues continued to go up and up and the game continued to become more and more popular, owners tried to maintain the reserve clause, which gave them essentially unilateral control over player movement. They would you know, purposefully short player money in terms of contracts because they could. They had the power. And... Every year, players would be like, you know, we need a little bit more than what you're giving us. We need a little bit more than what you're giving us. And the owner's like, we don't have to, so we're not going to. What did that culminate in? It culminated in unrestricted free agency. Kurt Flood, yeah. And Kurt Flood and Andy Messersmith. Um, I mean, it completely changed the financial realities of baseball overnight. Did baseball collapse as a result? No, it didn't. And being, giving the players a seat at the table did not fundamentally alter the game in a negative way. My sincere hope is that the leaders of college athletics take a good hard look at the way that they've run things over the last 25 years and say, there's a lot of people that really love college sports, not just football, not just men's basketball, but you know the, the whole spread of college sports and the allure that they have. But we have to make some adjustments in how we do this, and we have to give the people that are playing the sports a seat at the table rather than continuing to act like they don't even deserve to be heard because they don't qualify as people that have voices. And that's essentially been their stance, well, really since the NCAA came into being. But they're going to be forced, I think, at some point soon. I think so. To, to make those people relative equals in the process. And I think – Listen, I, I can't sit here, and I wouldn't expect you either, but I can't sit in here and tell you with any authority like what this is going to look like in five years. I think Chip Kelly's idea has some merit. I think that, again, like the most interesting thing to me has been the pushback at the university administrative level because if you have right, you, as you have rightly said multiple times on this podcast, the people making these decisions, and these were decisions. No one forced most of this to happen. These were decisions. They weren't made by coaches, and they weren't made by ADs. They were being made by university presidents and chancellors, presumably with the counsel of at least some or all of their various boards of regents and trustees. It has been interesting to me to see some of the pushback at the presidential level. You know, and you even see in the ACC – this real adamant sort of we are not adding Stanford and Cal. We do not like that. There's serious pushback there as well. And I, I recognize what you said about Stanford and Cal. But if you're the ACC, there are worse things you could do right now. 
then just sort of give yourself more options and give yourself more more reach and more expanse. Yeah. And there's still it just feels like the appetite for this, which was so ravenous ten to twelve years ago, it has gotten to a point where it's essentially become so destructive that I think a lot of people are looking around and saying we are going to lose the things that make people like college sports and make people follow college sports, not just casually, the way you can follow a baseball season. There's 162 games. Your team's losing by five runs tonight. Turn the game off. They'll play again tomorrow. But follow it fiercely. Follow it religiously. Go back to their campus two, three, four times a year. Give lots of money. Nobody donates money to an NFL franchise because they say, well, that's professional sports. I don't need to. To your point, they want to feel something different about college sports. And I think a lot of people, even the people that have been chasing the dollars are starting to recognize that we may be approaching that point of negative return and that it, they can't just go back and they really shouldn't because the old way, quite frankly, got them into this mess in the first place, but that we should all have a a, a sober and serious conversation about what people want from college sports going forward. Cause it's going to have to change. It already has, but this relentless march toward contraction and um, consolidation, I don't think is the solution. And what is most interesting to me is it does feel like there has been more pushback on it, even from the people you would consider the winners. Well, Chip Kelly's at UCLA. They're going into the Big Ten. They're a winner. You know, uh, uh, Jordan Acker is a regent at Michigan. They're one of the biggest schools and one of the two biggest conferences in the country. They're a winner. And yet these people are still – Gene Smith is the, is maybe the most powerful single athletic director still in his job right now. Obviously, he this, this, this all came out in his retirement announcement yesterday. And he didn't necessarily – Say let's let's blow it all up and stop this and do something else. But even he was saying we need something new. We need something different. I and I would love to believe that those people will continue to have those and feelings. The problem is they say those things over and over again, and then when the rubber hits the road and they have to make the decision about what they're going to do. Greg Sankey, what was it yesterday, bemoaning like, oh, killing the Pac-12. This is the guy who led the conference that less than two years ago carved the two most important brands out of the big 12 and didn't think about it twice. So you'll have to, you know, some of these folks, I appreciate the words. I appreciate the sentiments. Let's actually see the actions because all we've had is a lot of talk over the last 15 years about saving college sports. That's fair. We'll leave it there for now. Uh, thank you again to Galen Clavio from Crimson Cast for joining us. This has been Mind Your Banners for Thursday, August 10th. I swear we'll talk uh, about actual IU sports soon. But this is just too too interesting to pass up. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.